means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 21, The Eye of the Snake. Elizabeth is with us. Hello everyone. And before we get into the chapter, we have a quick shout out to make. Uh, Luke recently left a message on our Spotify on chapter one of Order of the Phoenix, Deadly Demented. And if you remember, that was a chapter that you and Jen were on, Elizabeth. Yeah, that's right. Our first one, we need another one like that. We do. It's quite hard getting everybody's <laughs> schedules lined up. Yeah. Even with just one guest, let alone multiple guests. But mm-hmm. we've got some plans in the works. Anyway, his comment. I really loved it. Uh, thanks, Dan and Elizabeth and Jen. I love listening every Sunday. We. Uh, when can we have more Harry Potter trivia? Ooh. Thanks for all you do. Um, yeah, we. it's been a minute. It's been, I think, since book one that we've done some extra trivia yeah uh versus you know obviously the tournament of houses was a whole separate thing maybe but... we should do that at the very end like have one big trivia thing and see if everyone knows mindy brocklehurst for all of her glory maybe <laughs> maybe he also says p.s jen you are my favorite Thanks. oh my gosh luke she's my favorite too <laughs> she's okay if you like Jen, well, you really like the last two chapters that we've done, uh, 19 and 20, because it featured Jen. You ready to get into the actual chapter? I am. All right, the Eye of the Snake. So, a couple of big things happen in this chapter. You get Hagrid's first lesson back from courting the giants and it not going so well, in which you get an umbrage appearance, which no one should be surprised by at this point. <laughs> Then you get uh, the last DA session ahead of the Christmas holidays. And a little one-on-one time in the room of requirement. There's, <laughs> uh, there's yes, I'm not going to even say anything. Uh, we'll get to that. <clears throat> Believe me, we'll, we'll discuss all about it. And then, uh, lastly, we get a dream sequence from Harry. Some big things in this chapter. Some surprisingly big things, and quite honestly... I had forgotten that all three of these things happen within the same chapter. Yeah, it's a lot in one chapter. It's a lot in one chapter. Can I just start off by saying, though, before all these big things, there's a tiny thing that just makes me very happy. Hmm. The fact that uh, the twins were throwing snowballs and hitting the windows, and they hit Ron in the face. Hey, Ron tried to be a prefect there. He He tried. 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 Give Ron his credit. He tried. Yeah. And then realized very quickly that it was not going to happen. You know what also happens at the beginning of this chapter is you get a student attempting to write lesson plans for a teacher. (laughs) Teacher Elizabeth Hudson, how do you feel? I would be okay with Hermione writing my lessons. That could save me some time. If she wants to take her quill and go after some of my papers, go for it, girl. Fair enough. Any (laughs) other students try to write lessons? Anyone else? No, I don't want... Draco Malfoy planning my lessons are probably wrong, too. Hermione could do it, though. Fair enough. All right. So uh, I think just in what Hagrid and Hermione were discussing as possible options with, you know, chimeras and the such, mm-hmm. I think it's a real shame we don't really ever get a Hagrid and Newt Scamander meeting at any point in time. Yeah, I feel like they'd have a really great discussion about all those creatures. I would really enjoy seeing them, just like Hagrid popping up in a Fantastic Beast movie would be great. Timeline is terribly off, but <laughs> I think Hagrid could be a great asset to Newt. Not that Newt needs any help, but mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if they have a half giant, you can help wrangle some of these larger than life. I'm just creatures. more picturing them be like, look at pictures of my pets, and then just gushing over them it'd be adorable i would definitely see hagrid tearing up over norbert and buckbeak mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. anyway on to hagrid's first lesson it says he's still not looking great he's got some green and yellow bruising and some continuously bleeding wounds yeah harry said that it seems like these are fresh wounds. Like, some are healing, but some are brand new. Yeah, the green and yellow bruising, that is indicative of healing. So some of the bruises 
are getting better. Once you get that rainbow effect. The rainbow. As long as it's not deep purple and blue and stuff like that, you're, you're doing better. But still bleeding wounds, not great. Mm -hmm. um, we also get Malfoy asking some, quote, stupid, like Hagrid said, questions. Yet they're quite appropriate questions to be asking. I feel like they're fair game. First, he starts off with the question, what prefers the dark? When mm. they were going into the Forbidden Forest, which, again, fair question. You know students aren't allowed in the Forbidden Forest. I get this is escorted, but still. I do like that they're going into the forest, though. I think it's cool to study the creatures in their natural habitat, because I feel like they haven't done that that often. He also continues to ask, you're sure they're trained? Which is a fair question. It's a fair question. It's an insulting question, but yeah. No, it's just a reassuring. He's uh... frightened. Draco is not exactly feeling comfortable as a student. No, and he's very bad at hiding it. Now he gets a little bit more blunt. Uh, his last and final question is, so what happened to your face? <laughs> Which uh, Hagrid responds with, uh, mind your own business in so much words. Fair enough. Though, yeah, I could see, you know, if you are trying to associate these animals with his face, it could be a little scary. I, I still feel like they're fair questions. And I don't... Have you ever called a student stupid? No. I know people... <laughs> that, was a, that was a No, pause. no, no. I... I, I pause because I, I've known people who have called their kids stupid. Me, whenever they're kind of asking me stupid questions, then I kind of phrase it as like, child, child, what are you doing? Child. And then they know that that's what I'm thinking or trying to imply, but I don't purposely do it. So I phrase it differently. Hmm. I just say, be better. <laughs> be better. Be better than that. Yeah, I'm it, just like... Mm. It gets the point across, and it's not insulting. So, <laughs> anyway. Uh, the first lesson is Thestrals. I love them. I know you do. You <laughs> had a whole thing on them earlier in the podcast. I did, and I still love them. So, it's a really interesting kind of setting we have here. Uh, it's natural habitat, like you said. Mm -hmm. Harry, uh, Hagrid is carrying a half of a cow carcass right that he just drops in the center of this clearing which really isn't a clearing because the trees are so densely packed yeah i mean it's like pitch black and it's creepy because he's making those high-pitched noises that seem unnatural and hagrid himself yeah yeah he calls them over by screeching because he feels like alerting them to his presence will make them more calm mm -hmm. but anyway they come over and they start eating the cow carcass, which, to those not inclined, just looks like pieces of meat are being ripped off and then disappearing. Which is a fantastic image, and it just makes me think of, like, old movie magic of, like, you, like stop motion, kind of, 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 here's the cow, and then, oh, there goes a bite, oh, there goes <laughs> another bite, and, like, that kind of thing. But, of course, if you can see, you can see the Thestrals just eating and having fun. We learn that... Harry, Neville, and an unnamed Slytherin can all see them. And Hagrid. Well, and Hagrid, obviously. But this, as far as the students go, right? you get Harry, Neville, and an unnamed Slytherin. Which one of them says later, like, that's surprising that that many people in one class can see them. And I would agree. Three it is a little one surprising. Is a lot. Uh, and I do like, even though it's unnamed, I still like that she throws in a Slytherin. Mm -hmm. Because that kind of balances it a little bit more. It's not just like, oh, the Gryffindor is only. Yeah. So Hermione then tells us that one can only see Thestrals if they themselves have seen death. Right. Which we've discussed before. It's like seen, but also understood. Because obviously Harry should have been able to see these earlier because he saw his parents die. But he didn't understand their death as baby. Now he can because he's seen Cedric die. He does drop a couple of really interesting facts here before we get the interruption. We get uh, him saying that sometimes Albus takes them on long journeys when he doesn't want to apparate. Which also means Dumbledore can see them. Correct. Uh, he also drops the knowledge that they're obviously carrying the carriages mm -hmm. at Hogwarts. So if those students did not know that, now they know. And he's kind of got like a humble brag of being like, yeah, I think I'm the only one that has a trained flock of them. Or herd of them, I think was the word he Herd, used, yep. Which is impressive. Very impressive, I So think. much so that... He showed off what uh, festival he's very proud of. It's mm -hmm. the firstborn on Hogwarts grounds. 
Mm-hmm. And that name is Tenebris. Which I looked up the definition of it just to see if there was any meaning behind it. And the two definitions with it, the first one was shut off from the light, dark, murky. And the second one was hard to understand, obscure. Which fits very well. Interesting. We also learn what might be Elizabeth's favorite part of this particular creature. <laughs> you mean other than the fact that they're super morbid looking? It's their amazing sense of direction. Oh my gosh, you guys, I have a terrible sense of direction. It's essentially a wizarding GPS. I have no idea where I'm going and I would need one of these so badly. You essentially whisper where you want to go in the ear of this animal. It just goes. And it will take you there. I need that. I need that in my life. That's why you really love them. I really, really need that. Like, oh my gosh. No, but they also look super spooky, and this being spooky season makes it extra fun. So as we enter into the second part of this lesson, my tone changes because I was reading this, and I'm like, oh, Hagrid's actually giving a pretty good lesson on Thespirals overall. Mm-hmm. But then we get this interruption by Umbridge, which is the classic interruption of just the words hem hem. Okay, the fact that he thought a Thestral said him him is just pure comedy cold. <laughs> like, that was amazing, and I wish that could have been in the movie. He was quite concerned, because that animal should not make that sound. No, he should not be making that sound. Arguably, no creature should be making that sound. <laughs> but anyway. So, Umbridge brings a whole lot into this lesson. and She completely derails it. None of it is positive. Yeah. So... I'm just going to start with the most upsetting bit and try to get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. The way she is talking to Hagrid and treating him is appalling. Yeah. It's so she's speaking slowly to Hagrid as if he doesn't understand English, which obviously he can because mm-hmm. he's teaching the lesson in English. Mm-hmm. Speaking it fairly well. And... Then she also mimes out things because she feels like he can't either understand her or doesn't grasp the general concept of speaking or walking. Jen and I, on the last episode, Hagrid's Tale, mm-hmm. uh, actually were applauding the the giant race because they seemed obviously much more intelligent than any of the wizarding community really gave them credit for. Mm-hmm. They could grasp magical concepts. Mm-hmm. They knew about the magic world, the wizarding world. They knew of specific wizards in that world and whether they were good or not. But then they also knew multiple languages. Mm-hmm. They knew larger concepts than just big, strong, beat things. Right. <laughs> like... right, right. But no, I think that's a good point. Like there's there's so much more to these other races or species i guess of of whether they be human or animal not that the giants are animals but like i mean the animals within the wizarding world and the real world too there's so much intelligence there that people don't necessarily respect or believe to be there i guess so she is completely interrupted mid-lesson which would make me angry which would make a lot of people angry it would make you saw how McGonagall treated such interruptions. Mm-hmm. And, but that being said, we can get into the dynamics of if Hagrid were to respond that way to Umbridge, that would be a monstrous backfire Yeah, on Hagrid's part because yeah. that's literally leaning You're into everything. You're putting a target on your back exactly. for that. Yeah. So it, it's, Hagrid's in a real tough spot because he can't be aggressive, mm-hmm. but he has to deal with someone constantly interrupting his lesson with, you know, I said Malfoy had fair questions earlier. I don't think many of these questions were particularly fair, other than maybe one, which she she gets to fairly quickly off the bat. And she asks him, are you aware that the Ministry of Magic has classified these creatures as dangerous? Which is a fair question. Which is a fair question, but I think it also ties into, was it Lavender or Parvati who was like, Oh, but they're supposed to be so unlucky. It's like, no, that's just the reputation of people who don't understand it. And I feel like... Well, you fear what you don't know. Right. And this is a scary looking creature because it's literally a skeleton horse. That that most people can't see. Right. And it's associated with death. Of course there's going to be an unhappy association with it. It's a hard thing to educate on because if assuming the majority of people can't even see this thing, Mm -hmm. they're going to have their mind 
go crazy with what they think it might be. Especially right. if they're seeing flesh torn off of a carcass, you right. know, right in front of them, and they can't even see what's doing it. Right, which makes you wonder if, like, if there was a diagram of a Thestral that Haggard was planning on showing them so they could see, like, this just looks like a horse. It doesn't look like a big, you know, 3,000-eyed creature with tentacles that are it's, pulling flesh from the bone. It is like, still fairly intimidating because it's not, like, normal horse, uh, normal horses have, like, flatter teeth mm -hmm. to, like, grind their food, mm -hmm. whereas these have fangs. Mm -hmm. specific fangs on a dragon-esque head with tarp-like wings and you know it's even then though i mean they've seen dragons and they are intimidated by them but they respect them that is a point though that i wish hagrid would have found some firm footing and began to educate which i feel like he could have done if she hadn't come in so like jarringly and purposely thrown him off. Antagonistic, yeah. Yeah. Because that well, does take a little bit of, of recuperation to just be like, wait, what is going on? Who is this adult who's treating me like this? Like, I'm your peer, not your under, like, underling, you know? He does lose track of the lesson, which prompts Umbridge to go, has poor short-term memory, which is mm -hmm. just rude. Mm -hmm. I find that quite offensive. Rude. <laughs> I get more angry with her asking Neville whom she saw die in just this really cold and different tone. Like, you have no idea how traumatizing of an experience that could have been for this child. It's an incredibly invasive and disrespectful question. Yeah. She's even described as being irreverent towards the question. Right. right. Like, you're not even asking it in a respectful way. Yeah, it's like, who, who do you see die? Yeah. Like, and, wow. and putting him on blast, which... For the record, it's it was his granddad. Right, but, but... It, I mean, he could have seen someone die, like, this summer, like the way Harry did, or it could have been years ago, but still fresh in his brain. It could have been someone he was very, very oh, close to. she doesn't to. know Neville. Yeah, it You know absolutely nothing about the situation, and asking that is, in front of the whole class is so inappropriate. Yes, 100%. Every time Hagrid does find some pudding and start to teach the class some of these interesting facts, mm -hmm. she loudly interrupts again, whether it's directly to Hagrid or whether it's plainly not even hiding it, asking questions to Slytherins, which get responses from the Slytherins, and then the Slytherins aren't hiding their responses, which makes Hagrid much more insecure. Or not even asking things, just the, like you were saying, like minding things, because it's the implication being, oh, you're too stupid to understand if I don't do that. Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to put up 10 fingers to show you that you'll get your results in 10 days. Like, wow, okay. One of the more aggravating passages I think I've read in this book so far. Yeah, I'm sure Dunn didn't like this part. It's just very upsetting how she treats Hagrid and then how she treats Neville is uh, appalling. Mm -hmm. But anyway, we'll transfer out of Hagrid's first lesson. And I got a couple of points before we get to that DA meeting. Um, Hermione has a little uh, gaffe when she says, oh, I wish I could see them. Which I think is a natural thing to say because it was an interesting lesson. But then Harry, you know, quietly goes, do you? Right. Because right. think about what that implies. Right. And then she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. That was really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that was a dumb thing for me to say. Uh, then you also get Malfoy taunting Ron again about the, you know, uh, maybe you'll see the quaffle a little bit better next time and you won't drop it or whatever. Yeah, if you see someone die, you can be better at Quidditch. Ha ha ha! Funny! Why is... Like, I know why he's still talking. Mm -hmm. But if you're Harry or Ron, dude, you lost. You right. got beat. Like, you could say all you want about Ron's bad goalkeeper. All he has to say is, I'm sorry, who won? Yeah, who won? he's not thinking like that. He's too hot-tempered. He, he, he should. He should. But he's not used to it. Anyway. So we also get a glimpse into Hermione and Ron's prefect duties a little bit more as the holidays approach. Ron just has a very interesting experience with all of these prefect duties. He's complaining about being strangled by Tinsel, by Peeves. Mm -hmm. He's fed up with rude first and second years. And he's also upset by Filch being essentially Filch. So he's just kind of venting all of this. I think Hermione's handling a little bit better. Yeah. 
So we finally get to the the DA meeting. Uh, that's the last one before Christmas. Which I love the fact that Harry was all sulky at the idea of like, oh, I have to stay at school, and Ron and Hermione are going, and then Ron's like, well, duh, you're invited. I forgot to tell you. And it's like, oh yeah. Yay! That's just so pure wrong. By the way, Hermione's going skiing? Yeah. That's a quite an athletic feat for Hermione. Well, skiing is not easy. I think that's part of why Ron also finds it so funny, even if he's never heard of skiing before, the idea of Hermione doing it. It's like, hmm. Good for her. She's more athletic than people give her credit for. But he goes into the room of requirement, and he notices that it's been decorated by Dobby. Mm-hmm. And how, you, how he can tell it's Dobby is because the baubles have have a very hairy Christmas on them. So the first person in after Harry has finished taking down all of these have a very hairy Christmas ornaments Mm -hmm. is Angelina Johnson, who immediately says, we've replaced you. Yeah, and she's not happy about it. She's not happy about it. But we find the replacements are, for the new beaters, for Fred and George, we get Andrew Kirk and Jack Slopper. Sloper? Slopper? Sloper? I don't know. I'd probably go Sloper. Sloper? We'll give him slower. And then the new seeker is Ginny Weasley. Woo. Which comes as quite the shock to Harry. He's like, uh, what? Yeah. And I feel like everybody else a little bit too. It's the boys. Like, Ginny's playing Quidditch now. Interesting. But Angelina goes, you know, she's actually not bad. Yeah. She's not you, but she's not bad. Yeah. So. Good for Ginny. Good for Ginny. And then, so... Uh, we get some comments on how things have been going. You get, Neville has improved beyond all recognition, mm-hmm. which is a really cool line to read. Because if you've been with us since book one, you know Neville's struggles throughout. And I think just the confidence and the safe space that he has has allowed him to flourish in a much more positive way. Yeah, it's good character growth. Also, I got to give Harry some props for his lesson planning. Like, clearly they've been breaking up each unit for lack of a better word fairly well when he was talking about how like there's no point in doing anything new before three week break which is very true because yeah. then you come back and it's like no one's gonna remember anything no yeah that's smart and he was teasing what they will do when they come back which everyone got very excited about because we could maybe do a patronus and that's very very cool so it's like Not only is he fitting in his lessons well, but he's getting people excited about him. Yeah. No, he's doing a really, really nice job. Everyone's improving on their stunning spells, which is just impressive that they're able to do it. I think, doesn't Cho mention that she's never actually been able to stun anything before or something like that? So, obviously, you see some improvement from all of the members of the DA. And then you get the dismissal at the end, and he's, you know, shepherding two or three out at a time to get back to their common rooms. I love the fact that everyone's like, oh, have a happy Christmas, Harry, as they leave. Like, oh, yep. he's your teacher. The fact that Ron and Hermione left early. That was 100% Hermione's doing. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the the interaction that now happens between Cho and Harry is interesting. It's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. I feel like, okay, so what they end up doing is, uh, Cho is obviously emotional. She's tearing up. She's crying. Mm-hmm. And Harry's taken aback by this. Doesn't exactly know how to respond, which is fair. Because mm-hmm. it's not what he expected. And she essentially starts off with Cedric. And says she believes that if Cedric had known all of this, maybe he'd still be alive. Right. Which props to Harry for mm-hmm. being like, look, he did know this. He wouldn't have been able to get through the maze if he hadn't. Voldemort just wanted him dead, and there was nothing he could do about it. Yeah, I mean, did she even know who Cedric Diggory is? <laughs> like, what were they discussing at all last year during the tournament? I feel like it's more her trying to make some sense of the situation and thinking, like, maybe I'm doing something that could could have saved him, so therefore this is a good thing for me to be doing, and and... In a way, I'm, like, rescuing his memory by helping myself. Like, some some kind of, like... You, you really don't think that the legitimately chosen student for the Triwizard Tournament knew nothing of this? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think Cho really like... does understand that he knows stuff. It's just she wants to try to make some sense of the senseless <laughs> and, and be like, oh, well, maybe this was why he died. I was like, well, no, that that's not why. It was just... 
You can't make excuses for Voldemort. He just wanted him dead, so he's dead. I think this conversation should have happened earlier. Oh, 100%. I think to Cho's defense, I think it's a conversation that needs to happen. And to her defense, I feel like it was something she probably tried to do a few times. Like when she first saw him on the train the first day, like they could have had that conversation after you break the awkwardness of like, hi, because you can't just go in and be like, let's talk about Cedric. Cry, cry, cry. Well, I think she ran into the opposite problem that Harry had during the Yule Ball experience of yeah. she's trying to get him on his own and he's always, always with, with Ron friends. and Hermione. <laughs> like, uh, can we have a moment? Right. Which is also on her because... She could ask for one she the way could Harry ask for did. One. Yeah. Yeah. But... This conversation did need to happen. It's an important conversation to have because mm-hmm. they can't have this hanging over whatever's about to happen. They need to kind of air it out mm-hmm. and discuss it a little bit. So I'm glad it happened, but maybe not at this particular time. It was just Harry not expecting this whatsoever for as great as he is as this DA teacher. Uh, he, he can't really read female emotions yet that well to be fair this was a particularly complicated situation it's very complicated <laughs> which hermione does a great job in, in a little bit of elaborating on but we'll we, get there in a second yeah i love harry's description as cho is kind of talking to harry mm-hmm. she's getting closer and closer and closer to him mm-hmm. and then he has this quote <laughs> where he goes oh she's much too close <laughs> She He's said, like, he close. could see all the tears on her individual eyelashes. And then pause. Uh-huh. Just a stop. And then it picks back up in the next paragraph with him, him returning to the common room 30 minutes later. Which I was thinking about that. We know the room of requirement is on the seventh floor. We know that the Gryffindor entrance, as well as the Ravenclaw one, is in the two towers, which is also on the seventh floor. I don't know how big the seventh floor of Hogwarts is, but clearly this tells us that they spent some time together. I think they spent a little bit of time together. A little bit of time. That we did not see in that break. Yes. I'm sure Harry would be very happy that we didn't see it. He didn't even want to tell Ron and Hermione. No, he was very hesitant about it until Hermione Hermione just just did it. (laughs) Yeah, Hermione just outed it and was like, so you and Cho. Yep. How did that go? Yep. And here he goes wet. She was crying. Which then sparks insecurities in his own mind. Because... Well, thanks to Ron, right? Yeah. Like the whole, oh, were you that bad at kissing? Ron, mm-hmm. come on. Be a good friend. That is not how you do that. Uh, yeah, Ron's poking at him because he's quite uh, getting happy on this conversation. He's, well, I mean, he's, he's like shocked it. and like, oh my gosh, you got a kiss. Oh, oh, wait. Do you suck at kissing? That sucks. And then Hermione just being like face palming galore at these stupid boys. I will say this though, uh, because of Ron and Harry's kind of uh, lack of insight insight yep. to this whole, <laughs> to the whole situation. Female mind. Um, Hermione kind of lays it out there, and it's it's a pretty famous scene in the movie. Honestly, the first time I read this, I I distinctly remember just being so happy. So, so happy with everything she just laid out. Well, I'll, I'll read the paragraph to you where Hermione is explaining what Cho might be. Well, obviously, she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she's feeling confused because she liked Cedric and now she likes Harry and she can't work out who she likes best. Then she'll be feeling guilty, thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory to be kissing Harry at all. And she'll be worrying about what everyone else might say about her if she starts going out with Harry. And she probably can't work out what her feelings toward Harry are anyway, because he was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died. So that's all very mixed up and painful. Oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's been flying so poorly. And then one person can't feel all that at once. They'd explode. Ron. Just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon doesn't mean we all have. I love it so much. It's it's a great line. I've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. That Cho gets a lot of flack for this particular scene. Like, how could you be crying when you're kissing Harry? Right. And I feel like Hermione does do a 
splendid job of laying out what someone could be feeling and why they're feeling that way. Oh, she breaks it down perfectly. And I feel like people skip over this. So, having once been a teenage boy, yeah. do you think if you had read this as a teenager, would this have been, like, amazing insight into how women are? Or would it be, like, Ron's reaction of, of this is crazy and people aren't like that? I would like to think that I am, even at 15, fully capable of realizing people are complicated. Right. Uh, that being said, uh, very openly here at 15, I had no idea what women were thinking. <laughs> I do remember reading it and just being like, this is such a good breakdown of what it feels like to be in my brain. And I, th I, I don't know, I was like, I felt seen as, okay. as a girl of just like, yes, it's normal to be feeling every little aspect of a situation and having your emotions pulled in like a million different directions over something so simple as, for example, for Cho, liking somebody. It was really interesting to read. After Hermione gets done with all of that mm -hmm. and says, so are you going to like ask her out? Is this now a thing? Mm -hmm. He says, quote, this opened up a whole new vista of frightening possibilities. I love the, the adjective frightening there. It's a really great quote. Mm -hmm. And that kind of illustrates like he wasn't thinking what or he was thinking one dimensionally. Now he's got. Well, even because she asked it like, are you going to see her again? He's like, well, yeah, DA. And she's like, no, no, sir. That's not what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> so this has kind of opened up a whole can of worms, per mm -hmm. se, for Harry. I will also give Ron a little credit. It said at the end how he gave Harry a shrewd kind of look and was like, well, maybe Harry doesn't want to see her again because he was paying close attention to his reaction. It was like, this isn't, this isn't necessarily exciting him. It seems to be more terrifying him. I think that Ron here, I think, in this little back and forth, mm -hmm is indicative of a lot of male friendships mm. where they will the, the at least the close ones like best friends mm -hmm. where they'll they'll poke at you and they'll rib at you and they'll make fun of you a little bit but then they're like dude do you actually like want this and that's an, an insightful actual question of you're not giving me signals that you're like all on board for this right. how do you feel right that's a really high level conversation for ron yeah and i'm glad that he asked it Hermione kind of shut it down very quickly with like, well, Harry's had a crush on her for forever. And Harry's like, I mean, yeah, but, ooh, I didn't picture it like that. That was not how it was supposed to go. First kiss matters, man. Yeah. Speaking of Ron and emotions and guys and girls, he's <laughs> like, who are you writing to? And Hermione's just like, Victor. Okay. Victor Crumb? <laughs> I'm sorry, are there more Victors that we know? I think Hermione writes letters the way I like to write letters and text she had a novel and that is very much what i do ron feels a certain way about them still communicating mm -hmm. uh to which to put it very subtly yeah well as they like as harry's kind of contemplating all of this and thinking about how you know what they should really teach at hogwarts girls how girls <laughs> brains work um you know as he's... he said it would be more valuable than divination he's thinking about all of that and ron is still going up to his dorm being like Oh, he was kind of, um. yeah, he was kind of rude, right? He was kind of like, you know, whatever. And Harry's just like absent mind, like, yeah, sure, he was. <laughs> so we get to Harry actually trying to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And it goes from a very normal dreamlike sequence where it's obviously like founded in reality, but it's kind of like warped Goofy. and twisted. Yeah. And then it transitions into something more concrete and real. And creepy. And creepy, where he feels like he's a snake slithering around on a, like the same cold, dark hallway that he's mm -hmm. seen before, but he sees a, a person that's slumped at the end of the hallway. No, I want to ask him about that. So it said it was like, you could see like the blurred outline of it. So are we to assume then that animals, like they can, this is proof that animals can see through invisibility cloaks? Because we've known Mrs. Norris before has looked at Harry when he's in the cloak, and he's like, mm, can she see me? Well, snakes would have, they see through heat. Mm. So every time she, like, every time the snake sticks out the tongue, that's her literally getting a... That a, line? Yeah, a visual. Okay. 
Because, I mean, Harry said in the dream he saw the man, like, kind of rising and the cloak kind of falling to his knees. So I wasn't sure if that was, he was literally in the cloak hiding in this hallway. The snake could see through it and that's how it knew that, like, this man was there. Or if it was, like, it had fallen off when he was sleeping there and then getting up, it's, like, <clears throat> further fell to the ground. I think he was under the invisibility cloak and then it fell off as he fell asleep. Mm. So the snake could kind of get a visual based on that okay. and then kind of go from there. And the snake wasn't going to attack until he woke up. the man woke up and gained a uh, more aggressive posture. Yeah. So he got bit three times, which Harry is from the perspective of the snake is the one doing the biting. So it was like, you could taste like the blood and, and ribs feel it. crunching under the jaws, mm -hmm. which if that's the case, if ribs are crushing under jaws, this has got to be a Big substantially snake. large snake. Yep. But yeah, and then, you know, he wakes up and he's immediately vomits and he's got everybody else in the dorm, like freaked out, worried, like, dude, are you okay? Well, I mean, God, imagine from their perspective of if he was, I mean, he must've been doing some screaming in his sleep sure. or something to wake everybody up. And if you're doing that, but not able to wake up I mean, and just screaming, like, this is yeah. terrifying, so. And once he gets his bearings a little bit, he's like, Ron, your dad. Mm -hmm. Your dad's in trouble. He's hurt. He's bleeding. He's in real trouble. We need to get somebody. Mm -hmm. Neville ends up getting Professor McGonagall, who comes in um, very alarmed, very worried. And Harry's trying to explain it to the best of his ability. And McGonagall's like, oh, so you were dreaming. And he's like, no. He's very specifically, no, I am not. This was real. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, okay. I believe you. We're going to go to see the headmaster. And then cliffhanger at the end of the chapter. Cliffhanger at the end of the chapter. <laughs> so it's a heck of a way to end a very loaded chapter. There's a big roller coaster of events going on. First kiss. He had this dream. He had a very hairy Christmas. He had a very frustrating and infuriating caramagical creatures class. Mm-hmm. He's seen the gambit of emotions just in this chapter. Mm -hmm. So with that, we will end the non-spoiler and we'll be right back with the spoiler section. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section for chapter 21. And it obviously ended on quite the cliffhanger, like mm -hmm. you said, of Arthur being attacked. And now we're going to the headmaster to figure all of this out. And it's not just any snake. It's Nagini. It is Nagini. Not the boa constrictor from the zoo way, way, way long ago <laughs> that went to Brazil. That's uh, that's a fan theory that they tried to make happen for a long, <laughs> long time. No, we find out Nagini's origin in the Fantastic Beast movies, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there's a lot of fan discussion around this scene because I don't know if anybody's aware, but the original plan was for Arthur to die in this scene. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Arthur was supposed to be killed off here, and Lupin was supposed to live after the series ended in book seven. Mm -hmm. She obviously switched those. Mm -hmm. And I guess her, her theory was she wanted a father to die in the series. And then it just so happened that Lupin particularly dying closed the circle because Harry's parents died in the first Wizarding War. Now Teddy's parents die in the second Wizarding War. And it's, yeah, it kind of it very well. It kind of closes that circle. Mm -hmm. So she ended up liking that situation better. Mm -hmm. um, so she ended up saving um, Arthur. So I wanted to ask you the question of, off the top of your head, if you had to save Arthur or Lupin, who would you save and why? Probably Arthur. Yeah? Yeah. What makes you say Arthur? I guess I think with like any character, when you kill them, it's not so much the loss of that character that's going to affect the series. It's the way 
all the other characters react to that character being gone. So, like, I think of Sirius and it's like, okay, yeah, Sirius Black gets killed, but it's not so much because Sirius has so much more to necessarily give to the Wizarding World. It's, we feel it so deeply because Harry feels it so deeply. And if Arthur were to be killed, it's not just Arthur dying, it's all the Weasley children now being fatherless. It's Molly not being balanced out as much by that calm sense of logic. Yeah. It's the Order losing the more neutral um, voice of reason whenever people get too heated. It's Harry losing his father figure that he can go to and, and talk to. It's Especially after the end of this book. Especially after the end of this book. it's It would be losing the insight to the ministry that they have so much of. I mean, like, how many times does he go to Arthur in book six to be like, I have suspicions about Draco. Can you please check them out? And he does. Can you imagine it, Harry losing both Arthur and Sirius in the same book, in the same year? Oh, God. That'd be hard. Turn to the dark side. Might, maybe. Yeah. That, that'd be a hard hard thing for him to kind of get past get over yeah and i just feel like if if it were that arthur was killed then that opens up the whole can of worms of how does that affect all of the weasleys like i mean we've talked about percy mm -hmm. if percy had never made up with arthur and arthur's killed I mean, he's got that guilt forever. Would would he come back to the family, or would he feel so too much good, shame? That's a good question. Does he? I don't know. And and or like the twins, like what if one processes the grief in a darker way and and goes off, you know, and on his own and into depression? Or um, if Molly can't be there for her kids because we know one of her darkest fears is somebody dying in her family. Ron wouldn't be able to handle it. And how do you help your best friend get through like losing a parent? I mean, like and Harry... Ginny's the youngest one. Ginny's the youngest one that yeah. would have to deal with it. And I mean, like if, if that were to be the case, obviously Harry would have pity having lost his own parents. But at the same time, like, is it more tragic to lose your parents when you've never known them? Or is it more tragic to lose them after the time that you've spent with them? And there's probably no answer to that, but it would be hard for both of them to process and like, you know, be like, okay, well, who's in the worst situation here? It would be a lot of darkness in an already very dark series. I think um, just to point out the other side of this, because, you know, that's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of the coin is, and, and you were right. There is no right or wrong answer to this question. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It would be an awful circumstance either way. Mm -hmm. And it is. But how you could frame it the other way is, you know, the Weasleys are mostly grown. Mm -hmm. by, the, by the end of this book, you have, you have Bill, Charlie, and Percy all out of school. You have the twins right on that cusp of leaving. And then you have Ron and Ginny not far behind. So they're they're older. Like, they've spent a lot of time with Arthur already. Not enough. No one can ever spend enough. Right. But they've spent a lot of time with Arthur. Right. Teddy doesn't know either of his parents. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's the question of if not, what would be lost by Arthur being killed? What would be gained by Lupin not being killed? And you're right, like, Teddy would have a father, which we've seen daddy issues in the whole series like you, fathers are important harry would still have that connection to his father like his father's friends after sirius is gone and obviously you know he wasn't exactly going to make many amends with peter even after peter did die and you know save him kind of he's definitely a presence of good in the wizarding world i think you know there's a lot that lupin can bring and obviously, uh, it's just tough because at least the Weasleys would still have Molly. They don't even, Teddy doesn't even have Tonks. Right. So, you know, and again, no right answer to this. It's bad both ways. Right. Like, I mean, Teddy gets to visit Harry, like, as godfather and and still get to play that. 
I mean, very mirroring Harry's life with how he was raised, just less abusive of a situation um, than the Dursleys. I don't know. I, I, I just think if Arthur were killed after Ginny was almost killed, after Bill gets so scarred up and attacked, after Fred dies, it's just like... Gosh, there's so much tragedy for the Weasleys if, if that were lot. to be the case. The Weasleys go through a lot in this series, and honestly, it's a miracle with just the sheer number of them. More didn't happen. Yeah. Given the, the war and everything, but... And given how close Ron is to the situation with, like, Voldemort. I mean, he's, like, on the front line of danger. Yeah, I mean, at, at some point, all of them are on the front line. Right. You know, at some point, you can't really avoid it anymore. Right. And that's why Ron has so many issues in book seven of just like, I need to know how my family is. I need to know how they all are because everybody's in danger. Mm-hmm. And just because you think you're safe, that doesn't matter to Voldy. Like, right. He will find you. So. Right. Um, yeah, it's just an interesting question I kind of wanted to pose to you. Um, I know Anna and I have talked about it off air. Rest assured... Uh, we we will bring it up again and kind of have that conversation, um, you know, either later in this book or when that deed is done. With <laughs> so, um, do you have anything else for the spoilers? I guess we can talk a little bit about Nagini and the dream. We know that Voldemort is possessing Nagini at this point, and that's why Harry's able to see. How do you think Nagini got in to the Ministry of Magic? This is me just being me. Do you think she went through the pipes? So Okay, so that was <laughs> that is very seriously what I had thought. I'm like, would Voldy go to that well twice now with <laughs> snakes in pipes? It worked. Go with what it worked. It did. But the only question I'd have with that is, if you have Nagini going through pipes, are you just having her go through like normal like drains or like toilets? But then if she's able to get her jaws around Arthur Weasley, mm-hmm. that is not a small snake. No, but I imagine they could have some very large pipes. Maybe. I don't know. Don't like know. the sewer system? Like they Yeah. Should... I mean, we know the ministry is downtown, and it's not in the best of places, at least from the mogul perspective. It looks like it's a dump. So get close enough and then sneak your way down. And I mean, it is literally underground, so there's got to be some kind think... of piping <clears throat> system going on. Do you think Voldy's just like... I am so sorry. You got to slither through this sewer just <laughs> one one time. That's and you all. can't kill anyone <clears throat> until you have to. <laughs> I feel like really what this is is obviously he had to put Nagini in a very perfect spot mm-hmm. that she wouldn't get noticed by Eric, the security guard, because that man is on his game. Except this time. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I think he put Nagini well away. From Eric because Voldy's like that guy. I can't. I can't get one past him. <laughs> Nothing gets back Eric. Nope. Yeah. So I'm making it canon that Voldy is afraid of Eric, the security guard. Now my question is more okay. So Arthur's obviously in the hallway of the um, Department of Mysteries because I mean Nagini had said something about her seeing all these different colors and stuff. So I don't know if it was literally inside the hall. Or if it was just that first exterior door. But regardless, I think this is where Voldemort has finally gotten the information that only those who have had prophecies made about them are able to touch said prophecy. So this is his attempt to come in and pick it up himself, which obviously does not work because they got caught. So would Nagini be able to pick up the prophecy since it's a part of Voldy? She's a horcrux at this point. Yeah. Would she be able to just like put her jaws around it and just bring it home? Slither out? Yeah. Like play fetch? Kind of. Go fetch me my prophecy. Maybe. And then if it goes off and the prophecy is like announced, could Harry and Voldy... Both hear it? Yeah. Because they both have a connection with Nagini? (laughs) Clearly. Maybe. This is also though the more, I guess the beginning of Voldemort realizing that Harry is present with these dreams yeah and then starting to weaponize it against him you know anna brought up another thing i'm bringing up all her points i'm sorry (laughs) but she shared a a meme with maybe we could post on twitter or something like that Mm. where it's a pie chart and it's voldy's soul but as a pie chart (laughs) and the idea is 
when he created the diary, his first Horcrux, mm-hmm. that was he committed the murder and halved his soul mm-hmm. and put half of his soul into the diary. So in theory, he would then have only half of his soul remaining. Mm-hmm. So each each consequential Horcrux, he's taking smaller half of a half of a half of a half. Okay. So really, the Voldy that we get at that end of Deathly Hallows is just a real small fraction of the man that was Tom Riddle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like that because I think most people think, oh, he's just putting a bit of his soul in and he gets to control that. And that's not technically how they work. Well, especially since, I mean, in the memories where we do see Tom Riddle slowly becoming Voldemort, he becomes more and more and more warped out of, like, I mean, he was once a attractive man. Right. Uh, do you have any other spoilers? Do you want to talk about the Thestrals taking him to the Ministry of Magic? I just love the Thestrals. They're so amazing. I like that they come back. They they are brought back. They're not just like a... One and done? Yeah. Yeah. Like, they, the, they serve the a greater purpose. The are kind of a little one and done. These, yeah, they're they're serving a purpose. They're helping. And I like that they're, they're kind of... They're almost like underdogs the way Neville and Luna are of... Like, here's a creature that you don't expect to be much help, and you have these misconceptions about them, and then they're part of the reason why they're able to succeed in their mission. Without them, they would have never left Hogwarts. Well, with those thoughts of Thestrals, we will end the podcast here. (laughs) And thank you all to listening, and thank you for all the comments that we're getting on Spotify. Please uh, participate in those polls that are on Spotify. Let us know what you think on Twitter and Instagram and Spotify. And also there's that support the podcast link. Uh, if you feel so inclined to donate financially to the podcast, it would mean a lot to us. It's a lot of time and energy that we put in. And lastly, just repost the podcast. Get it out there to as many people as possible and keep us growing. Yeah, if you know anyone who's a Harry Potter fan, please well, recommend us. We'll let them know. And with that, we'll end it here for Chapter 21. And we'll see you next week for Chapter 22. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.